This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Prop Show in the Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon. As the global economic recovery continues to be driven by China and also buoyed by vaccinations being administered around the world, things are starting to look good for the various industries in the region. So for today's show, we're going to take a look at how the property market in Asia is doing, especially from the perspective of how the recovery is being reflected in demand and which countries here are seeing better days in terms of cross-border real estate activity. Joining me in this discussion is George Mill, Executive Chairman of IQI, one of Asia's biggest prop tech groups. They've just recently released a report looking into the top Asian buyer picks for 2020. Good morning and welcome to the show. All right, so let's just start off with the first general question, which is give me some thoughts on the general impact that COVID-19 has had and how has the first few months of 2021 been, especially from this region's perspective? What the report shows, and we're doing this report every year, so therefore we can track also, you know, what has changed over time. But Uh, The 2020 report, which was just released, shows COVID restricted movements of buyers, but did not restrict enthusiasm and buying uh, power of those buyers, because uh, a lot of property purchases these days are being done online and uh, often in the primary space also without a visit, um, uh, virtual tours, digital signatures, Zoom, all these things make doing property easier and, and, and better. And uh, what we have seen is that on the one side, cross-border activity eased a bit, but the overall activity in the property market maintained really, really strong. And we think there's literally two major factors. One is push factors, and the other ones are pull factors. The push factors are um, those factors which drive the buyers to other places. For example, in China, there are certain cities with restrictions on purchases of property. There's a shortage of inventory and confidence in in other markets. There is an eagerness also among many people uh, to get on uh, with postponed transactions. So initially in March last year, people were a bit anxious. And then by May, June, they got really into the real estate mood. On the other side, the pull factors. The pull factors being property price increases in a few markets, which led to the belief that these markets are really, really attractive and then made people invest more. Now, how does this work and which markets are those? This works on the basis of uh, low interest rates. So people are obviously not able to invest their money in many things during restrictions. So they spent their money on investing into property. That's predominantly for the countries like Canada, USA, Australia and Singapore. And on the other side, another pull factor is actually the opposite. And the opposite is a bargain hunting opportunity. So in markets which are high hard hit, uh, like Thailand, for example, bargain hunting opportunities emerged and also resulted in an increase in in inquiries in these markets. Across all these markets, were there any specific highlights or anything that stood out in terms of the activity that maybe perhaps previously pre-COVID wasn't that clear? Definitely one thing uh, that uh, the US moved back uh, to the first spot in uh, in the interest of uh, Asian buyers and uh, replaced a bit Thailand, which has had uh, eased off a bit initially and then was fueled by bargain uh, hunters and maintained its third position. Uh, as for the US, 
that's an indication that, especially towards the end of 2020, the confidence returned in the U.S. market, and uh, that's on the back of the uh, elections. U.S. is very attractive for educational reasons as well as for second home buyers. So that's definitely one thing which we saw. The second bit which we saw is also that uh, a few countries, Malaysia and Canada, uh, and uh, uh, moved up, moved up in the in the in the list. So Malaysia got actually uh, more exposure to also international buyers uh, over the course of last year. And then the third thing which we noticed is certain countries which are considered safe havens in terms of being an island and being protected, like New Zealand and Singapore. Uh, made it to the list uh, for uh, the first time in a, in, a, in a while. Both of them had suffered in the past on the back of restrictions, and they made it back into the list now after a few years being off. But who, who are these buyers? Is there any way you can profile them? I mean, are they more concentrated from a single country, from a single region, or do they kind of like touch across all points in terms of income level, demographics, origin? They are from... Uh, across Asia, uh, with a stronger concentration, obviously, due to the sheer numbers on the greater China region. They are also from Singapore, uh, from Japan, and certain ASEAN markets. And uh, what they're looking for, on average, I mean, this is a median uh, price, is probably in the area of 330,000 US dollars, 330,000 US dollars. And um, obviously, in some markets, uh, they need to spend more, such as Singapore, they pay much more. And it's also the probably the most expensive markets of those top 10 markets. And where they pay least is, is, is Thailand. So in Thailand, they were searching for a third of the median price at around $120,000. Why did US move up and replace Thailand? Especially in terms when you think of geography, Thailand is much closer. It's in the Asian region. I mean, why was this switch uh, or this pickup in demand for US properties? Um, so in the US, uh, there was this factor, obviously, that the US from the outside perspective, started to sort itself out uh, post the elections, and that was be, became more and more foreseeable. Uh, the second bit is is also that the U.S. is very, very attractive from an educational point of view uh, for people. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, uh, there were reports about that the U.S. education system would suffer as a result of COVID, but uh, the further the year progressed, um, again, the U.S. started to, to gain back people who, uh, for, for studies reasons. On the other side, uh, Thailand suffered really because of uh, COVID uh, from, from investors, also from the political situation in, in, in Thailand, uh, certainly didn't help the market. But as soon as the prices started to drop, the bargain hunters came in and picked up uh, uh, additional stock. And that kind of maintained the market. I'm particularly interested at these people that are so willing to look into these cross-border purchases even without actually seeing and touching these uh, properties and everything is done virtually. I mean, does this kind of show that this is going to be the norm in this industry now? And, you know, if so, what are the kind of like advantages and disadvantages that you see in these virtual uh, transactions, that virtual showcases? Yes. Um, so what we have seen is, and I mean, if you ask uh, external experts, they will say that three months of COVID lockdown kind of pushed the developments forward by 10 years in terms of adoption of uh, online uh, activities and online tools, etc. And I mean, the most prominent ones you mentioned is, is anything you can see 
where you don't have to travel. You can see and, 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 and really experience. And that's where the virtual tours come into place and also the live uh, online events where you have like uh, uh, property salons or other events happening in a online environment, which allows people from all over the world to participate in it. And uh, what we did, uh, we replaced all physical expos with virtual events. And it was actually a very, very good decision because they are being taken up uh, enormously good. And I mean, they, they, they work even more effectively. They need less time to prepare. Uh, I mean, there's nothing to book, no room to book or anything of that kind. So it's uh, very cost effective, but also a very, because it's online, a results effective way of doing advertising. Now, um, Asia in particular is very, very strong in adopting e-commerce in all sorts of ways of life. I mean, if you think about e-commerce, half of the global e-commerce in the world is done by people from China now, which is quite remarkable. And with the further rollout of more mobile phones into markets like ASEAN, China, South Asia, and so on, uh, there is a massive buyer group on the rise in these markets. I mean, uh, Asia has five million, uh, five billion of the eight billion people in the world, and has a very strong mobile adoption and also willingness to use uh, online in all sorts of ways of life. Okay, um, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Do stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to the Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon. And with me today is George Schmiel, Executive Chairman of GYIQI, one of Asia's biggest prop tech groups. Um, they've just recently released a report looking into the top Asian buyer picks for 2020. And we've been discussing a bit on the trends, what he's been seeing, what the report reveals. So, um... George, I want to ask now, we're seeing this uptick in activity. What I want to know is like, why are they doing this? Are these being bought as investments for the future in a, in a sense where they want a second home, a third home? Or are they looking at rental yields, you know, perhaps some form of investment? Or, you know, are they looking to flip the properties in the future where, as they see recovery continue? There's an indication uh, because we ask those questions also from people who engage more uh, in, 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 in the side than uh, purely search and ask basic questions. And uh, uh, one of the biggest reasons, the biggest reason is, is investments for cross-border transactions. So cross-border transactions, uh, 70%, 80%, depending on the country, are, are investors. Uh, the next biggest segment is uh, depends then on, on, on the country, like for countries like the UK or the US. Or so it is actually the uh, area of uh, uh, the education, uh, Australia as well. And then migration, uh, lifestyle and retirement are other factors of varying degrees of exposure in these different markets uh, we, we uh, survey. Okay, and has there been a change in the type of the properties that people are trying to get? Probably the biggest interesting trend which we have noticed is for markets like Canada, the US, for Australia and other markets is um, that there was a strong demand for regional properties. That's from domestic as well as from cross-border demand. So what COVID has done is it has actually driven the people out of the cities and has made regional towns or regional centers quite, quite attractive. Why? COVID educated people that work is possible from anywhere as long as there's internet access and basic utilities. And um, now people are far more willing uh, to do 
remote work or work from home, how it's called, in places they wouldn't have considered earlier and only going occasionally uh, for physical meetings. So that's certainly one trend. The other trend we have seen is that uh, the education sector had been has been quite disrupted due to the lack of travel. Now, the education sector is not the biggest. The biggest one is the investment sector, but the education sector was impacted because of border closures, etc. Now, what had happened is that uh, obviously remote education was put in place by many educational facilities. As a result of that, however, vacancy rates have been going up in city centers of key uh, education hubs, which further added to the imbalance between the city centers with a lot of demand and uh, the regional centers, sorry, with a lot of supply of the regional centers with a, a higher demand for property. How sustainable is this? Because we're seeing recovery, you know, we're seeing things normalize, people are getting vaccinations. What what if offices come back, people come back, start returning back to work, schools start to open? I mean, does that sentiment weigh in on those that are now looking to buy property because they're okay with work from home or studying from home? I mean, is that is this a significant risk to that kind of uh, intent and demographic? I would say uh, there's certainly uh, various swing factors. So initially, there was a strong swing factor in the direction which I just outlined with the economic engines in the country starting to uh, coming up to speed again. Uh, we are also seeing a slight uh, rebound of uh, the, uh, the city centers and a pickup of activity there. As for the sustainability and so on, I would say there's definitely a great interest of people for having at least part of their workday uh, working from home. But at the same time, many people are, are commenting on the fact that uh, uh, they also want to have some physical interaction uh, with people, not just via uh, online. Now, what's the impact on the, on the real estate sector? It's an impact which probably will be felt uh, towards the second half of uh, 2021 and then further uh, is, 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 is really that uh, the demand is starting to, to grow again also for uh, more, more central and closer to the office um, rental spaces or purchase spaces. Zooming into Malaysia now, how's the market here doing? I mean, your report noted there were top five most popular. Why do people outside of Malaysia like buying Malaysian property? There's a lot which speaks uh, for for Malaysia as an as a buyer's market. It's uh, certainly quite foreign friendly uh, in terms of the rules for for uh, overseas investors in the Southeast Asian uh, region, and um, it is also has a lot of uh, advantages such as it's a tourist uh, a country. It is a from a location very well uh, positioned within the center of uh, Southeast Asia. I'm not even mentioning that the culture and the warmness of the climate and the warmness also of the people and the high quality food and so on. But what also is, speaks for Malaysia is that property is relatively affordable in Malaysia compared to other other markets. And the infrastructure which Malaysia offers when you purchase property is also very strong. And what about Malaysian buyers who buy property outside? Do you have any insights into where is their preferred location? Um, what we have seen is... Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Malaysian buyers buying uh, quite substantially into into the Singapore market. So they're one of the top three buyer groups into the Singapore market. Strong buying also into Australia. In particular, now also Western Australia is, 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 is high in demand. We have seen uh, both Singapore and Malaysia, which are obviously very close, 
uh, by quite a bit in, 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 in this part of the world. Um, and then and then other markets as well, but uh, like the UK and, and, and others. Um, obviously, not all this data is as easily available, but um, what, we, what we are able to do is, you know, pinpoint together various little pieces of data to form a puzzle. Recently, Bank Nagara just warned that there's an alarming rate of unsold properties in the country as of end 2020. You know, these are mainly service apartments, small home offices, units, you know, and houses priced above 500,000 ringgit and in less popular locations. I mean, does this have any bearing in what you've noticed in your report in kind of your ex- and also in your expectation for the real estate activity for the rest of the year? Um, it depends very much on where in Malaysia you are looking. I mean, uh, what we did uh, is we, we not only um, interviewed uh, the, the uh, consumers coming to the to the different media, online media assets which we have, but also we've spoken to our to our agent base, which is quite strong in, in particular in the Malaysian market also, and um, consolidate that knowledge. And what we what we have uh, found is that uh, actually. Half of the Malaysian expect that home prices will increase in 2021. And uh, um, uh, more importantly is uh, uh, roughly the same amount expect they want to purchase in uh, 2021 a property. And most optimistic are people in, in the Sarawak market and uh, where people really, really expect uh, quite some strong property price uh, increases. Uh, most pessimistic is where people are in Penang now. These are predictions, this is not meant to necessarily happen, but I mean, it's an indication. Uh, and in Penang, there is 40% of the people who really believe uh, prices might might drop uh, this this year a bit. But um, I would say uh, it needs to be seen in, in, a, in a longer term trend because last year uh, we had 40% of the people expecting in Penang uh, for property prices uh, to climb. So. What I'm what I'm saying is this: uh, things like these often even themselves out in in the longer run and uh, deliver a far less dramatic uh, outcome. The key thing is that uh, any infrastructure undertaking uh, undertakings uh, listed in uh, the budget uh, aim to boost confidence of, uh, of, of of buying property in Malaysia. And um, I mean, there's various pieces of. Uh, uh, incentives uh, being put in place, either from the budget as well as from other associations. And uh, so there's like uh, specific pieces which target uh, homes under 500,000 ringgit uh, for uh, the next uh, while, in particular about the stamp duty exemptions or anything, you know, uh, costs associated with uh, buying a property and transacting on the property. There's home ownership campaigns and other things uh, underway. So I think the most important bit is, however, that uh, uh, because there are great uh, buying opportunities out there, that the vaccination is, is is progressing. And as a result of that, also that the economy then will fully, fully recover once the economy fully recovers. And for markets in Southeast Asia, the recovery is expected to overcompensate for the drop in the previous years. Um, and once that is happening, then the confidence will come in and then property purchases will uh, happen. And uh, those people who are uh, more courageous at the start will have some golden opportunities to to purchase uh, quite attractive properties. 
I'm also curious to know that is there a kind of a difference in terms of the uptake for secondary market versus new launchings? Are we seeing an increase in the secondary market versus to newer launchings? We haven't really seen uh, that much uh, of, uh, of, of, of an, an increase there. There was definitely a, a slowdown in the, in the primary market which launches uh, uh, more recently over the last uh, actually two years. Uh, but uh, um, the question is really um, often when you assess the future, if there's enough stock or not, uh, you, you you do it on the basis of where you are today, but 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 it should be done on the basis of where you expect the future market and economy to be. And I do believe that while today, with further properties being built or a certain overhang in certain regions of of, of the country, uh, people might take a slightly more pessimistic view. In reality, is as I said, once the economy starts to to to, to fire, the buying power and the buying confidence returns to the market. And I do believe then, um, as long as we are able to lend money from the banks, uh, the, 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 the purchases are coming back. Is, is there a timeline for this? Because the overhang will remain. And yes, recovery is coming back. But at the same time, developers who have kind of probably um, restricted their supply previously due to the pandemic are probably eager to release newer product into the market, which might further worsen the overhang issue. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is where does the middle point meet between buyer demand and supply? Right now, it seems that Bank Nagara and various reports have showed that supply far outstrips demand. Will there be a meeting point for both? I think uh, the meeting point should be the point when property prices start to rise because that then will be an indication of uh, sufficient demand. To meet the supplies if property prices are dropping, the opposite will be the case. We do believe, based on the study uh, which we have done, uh, that this is going to happen in the second half of 2021. And that's all the time we have for today's property show. Thank you for being on the show, George. That was George Mill, Executive Chairman of IQI, one of Asia's biggest prop tech groups. I'm Simri Boon, signing off for the morning run. We've got the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.